Vaccines are one of the most effective public health measures available, saving some two to three million lives worldwide every year. However, in Europe, public distrust of vaccines is limiting their use, resulting in outbreaks of preventable diseases like measles. IMI's Advanced Project, which concluded in March of 2019, brought together a large cross-section of European stakeholders to create a data-sharing system and network to rapidly provide information on vaccine safety and effectiveness. Advance will now continue under a new name, vac for eu and I'm joined today by two members of the Advance Coordinating Team. They are Miriam Sturkenboom, the Advance Project Coordinator. Hello, Miriam. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. And Patrick May from the Scientific Institute of Public Health. Good afternoon, Patrick. Hi, good afternoon. So thank you for joining today. Can you please tell us a bit about what the Advance Project was and what were its key outcomes? Okay, I can start. So Advance was, as you say, a project which built a consortium with 47 partners, amongst which the European Medicines Agency, the European Center for Disease Control and Prevention, but also national regulatory agencies, public health institutes, vaccine manufacturers and research organizations. It was funded by the Innovative Medicines Initiative, and therefore it was a true public-private partnership. As you stated, the consortium built a system to generate evidence on vaccine coverage, benefits and risks based on existing health data in Europe. We designed the system, we tested the system, and finally a blueprint was written that allows for further implementation. And the consortium also agreed to keep working together and create the new organization, which is called Vaccine Monitoring Collaboration for Europe, vac for You. So what we have built, the outcome is really trust between partners, an operational system and network, readiness of data on 60 million persons in Europe, readiness of methods and readiness of people who can work in a distributed manner. Patrick, from the public health standpoint, why do you think Advance was key and why were you participating? It's obvious that for um, institutions as, as mine to uh, participate to uh, such IMI uh, program was uh, certainly uh, quite challenging. But at the end, uh, we all realized that it was uh, an exceptional occasion to participate to such a consortium where you have a stakeholder from different origins and having the possibility to share information, data, way of working with different uh, people like academia, but also the industry was a plus for us. It was convincing to participate to such a consortium and in the way that now my institution is, is actually dealing with a lot of IMI projects in the vaccine field. Can you give us a quick description of the difference between Advance and how the new organization vac for eu will work? What are going to be the key deliverables of VAC4EU in comparison to ADVANCE? Let me start with the differences. Now, as we stated, ADVANCE was a project and it was a consortium, but VAC4EU is actually going to be a legal entity. It's an international non-for-profit association that will have members and a very different governance model than ADVANCE had. So, for example, in ADVANCE, the uh, regulatory agencies and vaccine manufacturers were a partner. But this will not be possible in vac for you In vac for you the members will be research organizations and public health institutes and the other stakeholders, such as EMA, national regulatory agencies and vaccine manufacturers, can be consulted for strategy planning only. They can also take part in a community that is just talking about methods and methods development. So it can be advising. 
Then the similarities are that Aqua U will actually leverage all the products from Advance, such as the blueprint, the tools, the system that Advance has created. And Vac for You has the same vision as Advance had. It will work according to the same procedures, the code of conduct, and the distributed system. Patrick, do you have anything else to add? Well, I think Miriam just summarized very nicely what are differences and common aspect between both organizations. Uh, indeed, Vac for You will be an independent uh, organization, while Advance was run under some sort of authority of, of IMI, and that's basically. Uh, a huge difference between both organizations, even if both share the same vision as just Marianne mentioned. What is the biggest challenge so far of setting it up as a separate organization? What are you finding is the the biggest barrier to doing so? And what do you think are the best opportunities? Well, it's a lot of work because, I mean, <laughs> of uh, uh, yeah, I mean, you should realize that something that maybe wasn't said is that uh, even in Advance, all uh, the members of Advance were uh, participating to Advance while they were also having their own regular daily business to, to run with their own organization. So here it's, it's still the same. Uh, so what we have faced is trying the best way to express the vision and um, how we will organize and run like for you. It started by writing the uh, statute of the uh, organization and then writing the business plan for the organization as an independent organization. We will have to find a way to finance ourselves. That wasn't a problem with Advance as we were advanced by IMI, this probably are a part of the uh, difficulties that we encounter as we are not expert in writing a, a statute of such an international organization. Uh, the good point is that we were uh, well um, supported by the uh, ex-advance uh, member who uh, expressed uh, their interest in continuing the activity of advance under VAC4EU. And Miriam, how have you found the process of developing VAC4EU? Is it going well? Well, it's a challenge. And as Patrick stated, because we're not really so well equipped. I mean, we don't know the routes, actually. But we're currently taking various perspectives. One could be, you know, to apply again for grant money, which is a longer term perspective. What we are currently exploring with the commission is to see whether Director General Health actually can provide money to start up because it's so what they need at this moment and the running cost actually or the setting up is, is not so expensive. So there should be some money to, to continue, hopefully. And otherwise, we'll have membership fees or donations or various opportunities, overheads on studies that we will actually explore as a funding basis. But, you know, it's very different with for example, the United States, where the government, there is federal money to actually support such systems like the VSDs run on an annual basis, which is very similar, and it gets $10 million per year. Sentinel is receiving $50 million per year to run. And we need to be creative and hopefully, you know, there will be a recognition that it's important to somehow give some structural funding to such an organization. Now, the real-world data network that was established by Advance that's going to be carried over to VAC for EU 
EU was a network that can rapidly deliver results of quantitative data from the assessment of benefit and risk of new vaccines. Now, one of the core recommendations from the European Council was to develop a European vaccination information sharing system, what they called EVIS, and it would be coordinated by the ECDC. It seems that VAC for EU can potentially fill that role. Is this the direction that you're going in your discussions with the Commission? Well, it's clear that the Commission is seeing that you know, the recommendations that they were making actually that advance and now VAC for You could potentially help there. So indeed, the aim of VAC for You is to generate robust and rapid evidence on vaccine coverage, benefits and risk. And as such, I think it could play a key role in supplying information to the EVIS. But that hasn't, we, I mean, that still needs to be developed. So we need to see how useful and how welcome uh, VAC for You will be to actually supply that information there. Sure. Now, many of the programs that are currently monitoring vaccine safety are focused in the member state. How will vac for eu adopt a pan-European focus and how can that be an improvement for public health? Uh, Patrick, I'll start with you. How do you feel that vac for eu can address these issues? Well, I would say that first, it's important to say that nothing like like for you exists in Europe. It's a unique opportunity for the member states and their organization to be part of vac for eu As Miriam just mentioned, in the U.S., you have VSD, so Vaccine Safety Data Link. You have uh, the Sentinel system with, with largely finance. Nothing like that exists in Europe, and we are really filling a niche public health institute involved in that niche, I think it's quite important in the sense that our population is expecting from public health institute to provide clear, scientifically based, transparent uh, results on vaccine. That can be done only through uh, organizations such as VAC4EU, where we can access to data from a lot of different uh, member states participating to studies that can be run. And if we want to pick up a signal, there are much more chance to to pick one signal from a million of people than just from hundreds of thousands of people. If we want to demonstrate the necessity, the efficacy of vaccine, we have much more chance to convince people. So, Miriam, from your standpoint, how does the pan-European focus help VAC4EU in developing its future planning? I would like to mention some of the added benefits above and beyond the national approaches that are anyway happening. So, of course, all the countries have their programs, but the collaboration through vac for You and what we also saw in advance gives really benefits for the country. So let me add a few to what Patrick was saying. I think, I mean, I agree with the larger scale, uh, which is especially necessary when you look at rare events. So if you work together with many countries working according to the same methods, the same programs, you can generate evidence quickly and on many more people. So that was proven, for example, around the narcolepsy and the pandemic influenza vaccine. You need to collaborate. One country alone has its limitations in power. Now, then there are other benefits, and that is that one of the questions that's often being asked is why are different vaccines being used? Why are there different vaccine schedules across the countries? This has been grown historically, and it is based on the healthcare system, you know, that countries have chosen to vaccinate maybe at three months or some at four. But what is nice if you work together that you can actually compare the different vaccines, you can look at the impact of those different vaccines and the schedules across Europe. So you can actually... You can get a better idea of the impact, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. 
And then there is the added benefits of like sharing capacity, sharing data. Uh, you can actually learn from each other a lot, which we really saw during the advance, like from all the stakeholders, each has his own perspective. So we learn a lot from each other. And one of the key things I think that we also developed uh, during the advanced project, which now is possible in fact for you also, will be that we look at both at the benefits and the risks together. And often these are looked at separately. And I think if we listen to vaccine hesitant people, I mean, they would like to see both of them together because they want to know whether the risks outweigh the benefits. So you need to provide that and you need to provide that actually near real time. So you need to monitor it quickly. I'd like to touch on that a bit about the public trust in vaccines, which you just brought up. There are many African countries now that have higher vaccination rates than many EU countries have, unfortunately. And a recent survey in France found that 40% of the public think vaccines are unsafe. Why do you think the public does not feel the need to have vaccinations? And how can vaccinations for EU help this? Bob Chen has made a very nice diagram and it is already decades old and he is from the US and set up the entire US system actually. But what he was predicting is that as soon as the incidence of the vaccine preventable disease is going down because the vaccines are very effective, at some point it may become so low that people do not see the vaccine preventable disease anymore. They don't know how the disease looks like. They don't know what it is to suffer from it, whereas they see the small number of adverse events. So basically, you come at a tipping point that that people think that it's more risky than beneficial because they just don't know what the benefit is anymore. Whereas in the African countries, of course, a lot of people did not have access to vaccines before and they saw all these vaccine-preventable diseases. But there will be this tipping point coming as well that if the vaccine-preventable disease gets so low, they will focus on the adverse events. And then you will see outbreaks again and people usually then, you know, vaccination picks up again and people have trust. But this is a predictable course and we are just lucky enough that we had all these vaccines that are very effective. So we don't see the diseases anymore. Patrick, do you have a comment from a public health perspective? Well, I think uh, uh, what Miriam was just pointing out is, is absolutely correct in the sense that people are just uh, forgetting the impact of this uh, disease on their own health. The first people we need to convince or reconvince is the physician. Uh, essentially, young physician has never been confronted to uh, polio or other diseases as polio. And so uh, we also have this communication that says uh, polio has disappeared. So then it, it's very tough to convince people to get vaccinated against polio. But if you objectively look to uh, polio viruses in the world, you will see that this hasn't really disappeared because in some Western country, uh, Eastern country, uh, polio still exists. And also people are traveling, they are migrating. Uh, that influence also such diseases. And then we have this aspect of the environment and the fact that we face the heating of, of the different countries. Some diseases that were more present in Africa are now also present in Europe. If the temperature still continue to go up, Belgium would be also facing Zika or facing... Uh, West Nile virus or things. Yes. And then for this disease, we have no cure. The only one we have is the vaccine. 
so that people are just maybe thinking that it doesn't make sense to be vaccinated against a measles or disease like that that are presented as disappearing. But while we'll be uh, facing uh, such diseases as coming from uh, southern countries, then I guess that at that time people will will be not any more reluctant to be vaccinated uh, against this disease. How much of this is also a battle of you mentioned communication, and I agree with you in that this is becoming a battle of communication. You are fighting a social media tsunami in many ways where people are putting out social media information that says vaccines are dangerous, vaccines are harmful. How will vac for eu fight that battle in the social media arena? vac for eu will focus mostly on the ability to generate and to create uh, reliable evidence. And what we know from research as well is that people trust still the most their physicians. So for vaccine-hesitant people, and that's not the anti-vaxxers, but the vaccine-hesitant people, which is the largest group, that are people that are actually a bit doubting what they should do. They often talk and believe their physicians. So I think the first thing that we should do as vac for you is to see how the evidence that we can generate actually from routine care can help them so that they have clear messages to their patients and maybe convince them that they give the best example. So a lot of physicians are not vaccinating against influenza anymore. So it's we first need to work on the physicians because they are the trusted partner in talking to their patients. I think that's where we will focus on first. And then secondly, we need to see how the dashboard that we have developed, which is a visualization tool where you can monitor how it can be adapted so it can be understood well by the society. We are talking to you know societal groups uh, and we would like to continue those conversations to see how we can collaborate and how we can make it happen that evidence can be utilized by them. Just going out on social media is not our priority. What would then be your winning strategy? Do you think that focusing on the physicians will be enough? I don't think it's enough, but it will be a starting point, the best starting point. One of the things that's been occurring, we saw in Italy a law that was passed called the Lorenzen Decree, which has since been rescinded, but then changed and brought back in where there's actually been a push to put in legislation to force people to have vaccinations before they're going to school. What's the opinion of the committee from advance to pushing or working on legislation? Do you think that that's productive, counterproductive, somewhere in between? What's the opinion of advance on that? Well, I think it's very difficult to answer to such a question because it's, it's really political. I mean, you can force people to, to be uh, vaccinated uh, if you don't have any other way to prevent vaccine preventable disease. Uh, but if you force people uh, to be vaccinated, you may also end up with a percentage of people uh, just feeling that it's their liberty, uh, it's their freedom uh, not to follow the rules. It's a tricky situation. It's a little bit like the car belt. If you don't wear your car belt, you got to find and then you, you may do it once or twice. And at the third time, you just think that it's really stupid to pay a fine and you just use your car belt. It's a little bit the same here. I mean, if you force people to uh, 
to be vaccinated at the end, you may end up by having a larger percentage of the population vaccinated. And we know that it's uh, vaccination is, is not only a question of individual, it's the impact on the population, uh, the immunization of the population goes through uh, the immunization of each individual. I think that what we should try to um, give as a message is to those who refuse to be vaccinated is that by explaining that if they refuse to be vaccinated, they also give themselves the um, authorization to infect the others. In that case, with such clear message, you may end up by having more people ready to be vaccinated. The fact is that what you want, you want the larger percentage of the population to be vaccinated. And by using uh, clear data uh, with lay language, uh, it might be also um, a way to reach the larger percentage of the population vaccinated. If vac for eu could implement one change right now in collaboration with, say, DG Santé, DG Health, what would you like to see happen? to facilitate both VAC4EU and better uptake on vaccination rates. Uh, Miriam, I'll start with you. What I think DigiHealth could do or support is creating a sustainable infrastructure where this can actually happen so that this network can actually continue. They could facilitate reaching out to member states, so to see whether you know many member states will be joining. And they could also facilitate maybe speaking with the politicians to see how they can embrace this. That's what I think they can do on a political level or on a funding level. But also what we could give back is to show the impact of not being vaccinated, of the different schedules, of the impact. We could really provide Europe with rapid and robust evidence. And I think that that's very valuable. Patrick, from your perspective, what do you think vac for eu could do in partnership with DG Health if you had one choice to make right now? The uh, most important things is would be to convince the authority of all member states of the necessity to have an infrastructure where data can be uh, accessible. The most explicit fair, real, transparent, scientifically based numbers versus fake information. I think that actually uh, DG Santé and VAC4EU could be the best instrument to uh, convince all the member states of the necessity to have this structure that that is actually lacking in in Europe. Miriam, what's the address of the new website, VAC4EU? It is VAC, V-A-C-4-E-U.org. Four is with a four. So V-A-C-4-E-U.org. Yes, correct. That's great. Miriam and Patrick, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very Our much. Our pleasure. Yes. Thanks. Our pleasure.